Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the second installment of this pod venture, uh, which we're calling Boats and Bows. Yes. Uh, we are up here at the Crex Meadows Wildlife Area. I got Jimmy to my right, Eric across the table, and Bob Hansen from the Wisconsin DNR. And we are sitting here collectively, possibly we've put the cart before the horse or, or the boat before the horse. We're going to figure <laughs> that out here in a little bit. But before we get too far in, uh, Bob, if you can, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do here with the DNR and... Uh, We'll start there. Jim, does that make sense? Great start. Sure. You did good. Oh, thank you. Sure. So I'm a wildlife biologist for Wisconsin DNR. I uh, specialize in the Northwest Sands uh, landscape. It's uh, up here in Burnett County, uh, down in the Polk County, and also in the Douglas and Bayfield counties, a little bit in the Sawyer. Uh, so I specialize in most of this barrens type habitat um, that is, you know, then bordered by by the rivers here as well. So um, that's why I specialize in. But I work a lot on public lands, uh, but county forests, uh, state forests, wildlife areas, and even some with the private industrial forests as well. Doing with a big land management scale and also promoting uh, the wildlife species. So we have uh, species like that. We folks like yourselves can come up and enjoy and even hunt. So great. Awesome. Awesome. Now, we gave Bob a little bit of a rundown on essentially what was happening here. You know, the idea that we want to go on this whitetail hunt. Also, a pretty sweet time of the year being that it's an opportunity hunt. A lot of other things going on. Uh, We also gave him the rundown a little bit on the fact that we were hoping to do it on a river and on a float hunt, essentially going down the river in a boat. And uh, we asked the guys on the last podcast, it was the hunting public guys, what they thought about our boat. Bob doesn't yet know what our boat situation is, and it still remains to be seen whether or not it's the right boat. Uh, We haven't actually seen the river yet. That's something we hope to do maybe later today. But, Bob, so to give you a perspective and and genuinely want to know what you think about our decision. I'll pull it up, too. Uh, Eric's going to get it up. I'll 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 mention also, before we did the podcast with the hunting public guys, I was I was cautious yes. about our boat decision. Now I'm scared. After that, I was cautiously optimistic. Right. But now now we've gone this is the big dance. This is when this is where we find out. I've kind of receded back to cautious <laughs> once again. <laughs> what we have is an 18-foot inflatable boat with an outboard 25-horse motor on the back of it. Okay. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, considering our chosen river. Mhm. Will it work? <laughs> it is that less the shell on top of it. Oh, right. okay. So it's like a Navy it's SEAL. Kind of like a Zodiac. Thing. Sure. Is that a pretty tough uh, <laughs> <laughs> underside, or will it take a few rocks? Uh, <laughs> it's got seven compartments, so it can it can be partially deflated, probably at least three times. Seven air chambers. I think that does include the inflatable keel. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, the, the big thing about water levels here uh, on our lakes, marshes, and especially the river is it really depends on how much rain we're getting. Yeah. Water levels are up and down quite a bit. On uh, this river in particular, they, they do they do post water levels so you can kind of know what you're getting yourself into. A lot of that's for the canoe, canoe and kayaking, but other yep. boat traffic as well. 
and then knowing the river too is is as key. Uh, so when waterfalls are low, if you kind of can read the river and know yep. where the the channel goes, and kind of follow the current, that should help you out quite a bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, w- levels currently are fairly low. Yeah. Um, so you might do some prop damage. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. And you might have to get Don't out and, and pull it a few times, or if you yep. kind of misread where the river goes, then you might yeah you might have to drag it some. So. Yep. It depends how how you expect the hunt to go, I guess. Now, would you say kayaks or canoe are better suited to this river? Or if you were to build the ideal watercraft yeah. Yeah, for this hunt? If you were going on this hunt, what watercraft would you use? I, I think I'd have like the an arsenal ready and then check the water level right before you go and yep. then react to there. Because mm. currently I think a canoe would probably work out better because you're going to probably even be, you know, dragging a canoe some. Yeah. So rubber boots and a canoe, then you can just drag the canoe along. Canoe's yep. easy to drag. Um, but if water levels come up, we keep getting rain and it bumps back up, then your boat might work out for okay. it. And especially if you have, you know, get out and try it and, you know, where you can see good <laughs> in the yeah. daylight. And I don't know if you're trying to navigate it, you know, pre-dawn darkness or not, but yeah, you might want to do it once when you can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're going to tr- probably try to avoid, you know, water travel before and after daylight. Yep. Yeah. If anything, Ideally. it would be very minimal. Like we might be hunting the op- opposite side of the river from where we're camping or something like that. So just a quick across. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So what I've gotten out of this is we should build up an arsenal of watercraft. Yep. <laughs> we should get a, uh, we have an 18-foot inflatable Zodiac, essentially. We should get a jet boat. We should get a canoe, <laughs> some kayaks, maybe, I mean, there's aluminum boats just coming out of your nose as you drive up here. Maybe get one of those. I maybe mean, we should have built, built those many jet boats I was trying to talk you into. You want to learn how to weld? No, you like I that I want to learn how to weld, but I don't. I don't think I can do it fast enough. Okay, so a slight maybe we got a we got a definite maybe. It's possible. We yeah. probably we have we have a plan A, which was probably should have been plan C, but now we need plan A and B. Right. Okay. Lest we forget the whole reason why we're on plan C for plan A for the boat is Eric's fault. Okay. Noted. Moving on though, one of the reasons we wanted to come up here and speak with a biologist from this area is to get an idea sort of of what we're getting ourselves into. And I think we've chatted, either we chatted about it, or I, yeah, I think we did on, on the podcast before, where if you're, if you're going into a spot that you're unfamiliar with, generally speaking, maybe, what's, what's the right word? It's a, it's a common courtesy to not necessarily just call up the, the local biologist and say, hey, where should I go? What right, should I do? Right. You know, do some research do, ahead of time. Put a little work in, which we've we've tried to do our best, and of course we've we've even driven all the way up here before we're actually going on our hunt because we'd like to we'd like to talk about this because getting that local information and knowledge will help out a ton, and it is it is extremely useful. But uh, yeah, you don't you don't want to try and have somebody else just you know ask somebody to essentially do all the work. For right. You. Yeah. Right. Do some legwork. Come up with some good ideas, some good leads, and then and that's you know, half the fun on. Mm-hmm. That's half the and fun. Bounce and bounce the ideas off. We thought this might work, and then the person who's been there for a long time, you know, at least they know you tried. Yeah. And then they can tell you, no, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard, but they know you tried. Well, and for right. a person who's providing information, like, it gives him a starting point. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like just this completely just wide open. It's like you're able to kind of pinpoint it a little bit. But. Right. Sure. And I think you got a great idea. I mean, Burnett County has a ton of public land. 
looking at 112,000 acres of county forest. This wildlife area is 30,000 acres in size. Within the county, it's over 55,000 acres of wildlife area. You also have the Governor Old State Forest. So you have a lot of, you know, it's 20-some-odd thousand acres, plus the National Scenic Riverway is here. So you have a lot of public land, and that's not even looking at MFL. Then you look at accessing by a river, then you're able to get into some bigger blocks of public land, get into some less disturbed areas where maybe the deer are acting a little bit more yep. uh, off edge and uh, are behaving and actually moving around during daylight. So that's great. So I think you'd be able to get into some really nice good-sized blocks of wilderness and have a really good good hunt. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, before we got here, I mean, I, I've always just kind of – the little bit of study I've done, this seems like a unique region. But then when we got here to the Crux Meadows Center here, I mean, it's way more unique than I Very could have diverse. ever imagined. Extremely. Diverse. And then you mentioned this this barren's habitat. I mean, right. that was something that I didn't even know existed in Wisconsin. Yeah, well, what was that again? Can you explain that again? Yeah, so the barren's habitat is, is in the sandy region. It's kind of down here by St. Croix Falls, and it heads up through all the way up into the Bayfield Peninsula. So it's 1.2 million acres of, of oh, a landscape. Wow. It's a big, big country, and uh, that's what I work in a lot of. But it's uh, it's been shaped by fire over the years. So you have a lot of the early tree species like uh, jack pine, oak, and aspen. And you also have kind of this prairie type stuff mixed in, the same type of prairies from from um, across the Midwest. Then you also have these kind of cool uh, shrubs, more like heath type shrubs like blueberries and stuff like that. So it's all this mix of kind of brushy stuff all together. And if you maintain it through fire, it, it uh, reacts quite well. And very diverse communities uh, on Crux here we have... Uh, many uh, probably acres that would have almost 200 species on a different type of, of plants. So it's a really diverse thing. So from a hunter standpoint, you, you talk about, you know, what, what are the deer eating? What, what's the browse levels and what what's there? What it continually means started over is a healthy browse. It's really good, good yeah. feed food source for them. And, uh, and we have that also in the, in the forest too, where we actually do management and do timber sales. And it, it also reacts with that barrens community and it gets a flush of new vegetation again there too. Yeah. Kind of okay. that whole young forest idea. And a, a lot of this is pretty low-lying land too. Didn't you were mentioning, I think at one point, a lot of it was underwater yeah, in this, history? Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, um, Crex Meadows is part of a huge glacial lake bed. So it's you know, rather flat, mm-hmm. and you actually go out and you see some ridges on the property. And those ridges are from when the glacial lake bed went dry. Those are actually dunes that were blown around by the by the oh, wind wow. and t- until they, they oh. got, became vegetated. So you have these flat, big marshes, and uh, and we talk some of almost that like a too. desert. Yeah, sort of. And then you know we got enough rain and, and, and enough uh, soil um, with with the, with moisture that you know holds vegetation and grows quite well. But it does dry out as well. So that's why the fires were so prone way back in the day before fire control. Mm-hmm. These northern states, I'd have to assume a lot of a lot of the northern states are this way. But I know Wisconsin, just growing up, I mean, the glaciers shape like the entire state, just about. Right. I mean, Spot. pretty much everything. Whether it's a flat area of the state, like you have in the central area of the yep. state, super flat, or you go out to the western part of the state, or you know, up north, and you have all these bluffs and hills and stuff. It's it's pretty wild how that all worked out. Yeah, especially in the sand country, because you you see like a big open sedge marsh that's all wetland, and then you come up on an island just a little bit, and within maybe not even a foot of rise of elevation, you have oak. So yeah. it just hmm. it just it's very you know unique as far as how flat it is, but then uh, as far as the, the soils behaving that way, where you get oak right away because you're up just high enough. Yeah, and for your hunt, that might be a key thing to look out for because it's a good acorn crop this right. year. Especially uh, looking for the white oaks, especially the bird oaks around yep. here. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. Just such a minor change in topography or yeah. elevation, and, you're, and you've and you got like a, almost an entirely different 
ecosystem. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, there's very little transition from what's really wet to what's dry. And wow. Dan, Dan Infault's always talking about those little oak islands that you kind of just touched on. So that's interesting to keep in mind as far as, like, hunting yeah. tactics go. The yep. THP guys were also talking yep. about all the acorns and whatnot. Yep. exactly. And then there's a great show called Oak Island. So I think that's what it's called. I don't know. Is there Anyway, really? moving along now. Okay. <laughs> um, Good transition. Some unique wildlife species, though, too. Can you touch on some of that stuff? Yeah, probably the unique, most unique for this property and some of the other wildlife uh, areas and some of the other uh, partner lands uh, further north of here in Serpto Growlis. It's unique to this area, part of the only uh, only place in the state you're going to be able to find them. Well, population that that's, we're trying to hang on to, and it's doing pretty good. Uh, we want to keep it that way. Uh, on this property, um, you know, if you're up here waterfall hunting, you'll see in a few weeks here, you'll you see a ton of sandhill cranes. Uh, typically, we'll, we'll um, stage about 14,000 sandhill cranes on the property before they head south. Oh, wow. So you'll really notice when you're in the bow stand, they fly over. It's a lot of noise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, trumpeter swans. We just talked about the whooping crane that's in town uh, for the last few weeks. Neat stuff like that. And uh, one of the things we talked about already, but uh, when you guys walked in, is I moved up here from the south, and I saw all these huge trails. and like, wow, look at these deer trails. And I found out, like, they're not just deer. They're bear and wolves and everything else that are big are using these trails, and it kind of blows out the, the trail, makes, makes it look different than what you think it might be. But So you have to, there's definitely a lot yeah. of bear in the, in the area and wolf packs as well. So I feel like just floating around out here, getting up in the stand out here, is going to be like watching one of those old like kids' movies where all the animals can talk and stuff, and they're all happy to get, like Lion King. There's just so many animals around all over the place. Like you just said, I mean, black bear and wolves. Like In this education center, there's all kinds of cool uh, taxidermy and other sort of uh, you know animals for, uh, for visual references and things, and huge wolf out here. We were talking about, uh, you know, maybe we'll be hearing some of those when we're, uh, when we're in camp. Uh, and, and you even mentioned that they can be a positive or a negative for your deer hunting too, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, and, and how'd that work out again? Yeah. And that's something uh, I've, I've seen uh, firsthand for my own hunting, but also uh, talking to people, like, especially when you do registration where, and our kind of our standard message for Wisconsin DNR is the wolves will change the deer behavior some. And what we found out is, yeah, some of the deer will just hunker down and hardly move at all. And they become really, really sneaky. And and, and then other deer will just bump out, would just leave the area. Yeah. And what we found now, and I'm starting to run into talking to folks, is sometimes, yeah, somebody will be sitting forever not seeing any deer. But then a few miles away, their buddy's seeing all kinds of deer. What happens is deer bumps out to the edges of that wolf use area and actually focuses the deer so okay. for you guys you know hunting on the public and the ability to be mobile i would definitely encourage you to do that if you start seeing some wolf droppings which you know look like dog scat but with hair in it deer hair in it yep. and you see a lot of that and you see if you hear them hauling and stuff like that you kind of know like hey i'm in a spot where you know the wolves are kind of centered right. if you bump out a mile or two or find that zone where it's just right on the edge of where they're using that might actually focus deer for you and be a really a positive way to the hunt hmm. yeah are they, is that something that like one would need to be worried about with the wolves out there, or is they don't really generally bother people much? Or uh, generally, they're trying to stay clear of people as much as they can. Gotcha. Yeah, it'd that, be lucky to see them. That's a unique take on it too, because I think a lot of guys, especially in Wisconsin, have that mentality that wolves are are bad all the time. There's nothing good about them. But I think, like you just mentioned, they're being able to use them to your advantage. It's a reality. They're on the landscape. You can use them to your benefit as a deer hunter. So if it like getting on those edges of where they're at. Well, it's not, you know, completely dissimilar. We talk about, you know, utilizing hunter pressure. Yep, exactly. And I guess that's what you're doing. They're just other hunters out there. Yeah. 
Right. That's exactly true. Two-legged, four-legged, yeah, the reactive pressure. Yep. Now, going back to the bear sitch, now, Jim, I don't maybe visualize them as these uh, singing Disney creatures, and I'm not <laughs> super worried about them or oh, scared of them. Oh, I don't see them as them. Disney creatures. I was just saying, you know, when you watch those old kids' Disney movies, they like, have like a gazillion different kinds of this, animals. Okay. All that. That's diversity. what I'm saying. It's just, yeah, the diversity of the animals. Not, I'm not picturing them talking and smiling and being, you know. Okay. Because frankly, I'm no, I'm not scared. The personification by Disney of creatures is not what I was getting into, even though that is an entire topic. Look, Jim, your anthropomorphic views on life are just I'm getting a little bit tired of it. Well, now I know um, that everybody, bunch of people, probably aren't even listening anymore at this point. <laughs> they tuned out when I said that. <laughs> the bears, though, any special considerations there? Uh, probably more for where you're camping and not having a yeah. bunch of food laying around and you know, put it up in the air like like they always suggest. It's more around your campsite would probably be the biggest thing there. As far as seeing them in the wild, like you said, you'll be lucky to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then what I what I learned is like especially when you see some of these uh, the, the sedge meadows where the the deer trails are going across them, and I really think some of the ones that look, look the most impressive, especially on an air photo, might be a sow with like three or four cubs yeah. that use that thing almost every day and they really blow it out. So it's not so much maybe maybe the biggest bears making those trails look good. It's more like the the cell with a couple of cubs gotcha. making it look good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and interesting, you know, we're talking about focusing on the acorns for deer. I guarantee, you know, I yeah. w- don't guarantee, but I would expect that those bears are going to be doing the same thing. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Hmm. Are acorns tasty? I've never. I can't say I've had one. I can't say I've tried one. Eric? You've never tried them. They're bitter. Yeah. Very bitter. Hmm. Okay. Next, there's a fun project. Next time you walk past an acorn. Bottoms up. Seriously, not not the worst, but not the best. We'll get that on video. I do hear, <laughs> I've heard people talk about, you know, red oaks and white oaks and that, you know, some taste better than others. What, yeah. What's yeah. the deal with that? Definitely the preferences for white oaks. So okay. when you guys are hunting here, you'll be looking for, you know, the, the oaks with the rounded lobes, uh, especially the bur oak in, in our area here. Yep. They have the best uh, palatability, the, the most uh, selected by, by deer for sure. Okay. And that—that's what oh, I, even deer thing. I thought we were just talking about for humans, like. <laughs> okay. All, right. All right, noted. Are they are they sweeter or let, like you? Uh, I'd hate to taste one, but I I, I know deer select for them. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, and and white oaks are less abundant too out in the landscape. Okay. So if you find them, you might be in a hot yeah. spot. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind on those like heavy acorn crop years. You might because you have acorns literally everywhere. It sounds like this year. So if you find those, if the white oaks are selective and more isolated, you might put yourself in a really good spot. So well. Starting to understand why people walk around and sometimes point out what kind of trees things yep. are. I always never cared. Yep. I was just like, that's a tree. It's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not just because of the way they are, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, unique to where you, how you guys are maybe hunting, coming in from the lowland side along the rivers, you might have a bunch of low ground, like ash swamp or something like that, yeah. where it's more wet. But then these oak islands would be more rare. So literally you'd be surrounded by tons of deer cover, yeah, bedding cover. But then maybe the food source, if you do find those white oaks, would be, you know, kind of a smaller area. And you'd be kind of keying in on it. Interesting. So, hmm. Okay. I mean, just mentally, and I hope we are able to find that. Just because, yeah. like, we're talking about some extremely expansive areas that we could not even begin to try and touch on foot right but mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and then it's like where where do you narrow it down and that's really cool to kind of listen to you talk about that and be like okay that's a point that we can narrow it down that's a point we can narrow yep. it down so because mm-hmm. it is intimidating when you look at it you know when i hunt a lot of the smaller pieces of public in southern wisconsin yeah it's almost narrowed down for you i yeah. guess and then you do the best with what you have and here it's kind of like the 
the the world is your oyster a little bit. That's that's what's kind of blowing my mind. Like getting into this, I feel like I've been dancing around it a little bit, but because I don't know where to start, I'm I'm concerned almost when we get to the hunt, I'll feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Don't know where to start because we've talked about uh, and some of this is prior to the podcast where we were setting up here, but I mean smallmouth and walleye fishing. Mark wants to go crayfish trapping real real yes. bad. Yes. Deer hunting, all kinds of different waterfowl, small game hunting, like yep. squirrels and stuff. Gosh, I mean, this it's such, and at the time of year, so many of these things are opening up, and yeah. these seasons, I don't, I, like, I don't want to, I feel like I have decision stress, because I don't know which one. The, <laughs> the first thing that, that Kevin Wallenfang, who we had on in a previous episode, told us, the first thing when, when we shot the idea past me, is like, pick one or two things and do that. Yeah. Which does take away from that whole smorgasbord of opportunities well, yeah, that we yeah. have. But I think I do think there's something to that. Because we're doing this in a matter of a couple of days. Exactly. You know, if we were here for like two weeks or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. Then, then the, that might change. But Right. Yeah, but we, we got four days and we're going to try and dabble in a bunch of different mm-hmm. things. You know, it could, it, it could be overwhelming. I have the same problem. I live here. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, well... Uh, you, We're not alone. That's even longer than two weeks. So if, you, if you're going into this, I feel like maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the top three are waterfowl fishing and deer hunting. And if you're going to try and split that up over the course of a couple of days, how would you go about that? I know we, we talked yeah. to THP a little bit about this, too. But yep. in your eyes... You know, how would you kind of split that up? And also, you know, let's say, for example, in the fishing, you know, what kind of fish are you expecting to see the most of, you know, and, and with waterfowl, what kind of waterfowl are you expecting to see the most of? Sure. So we'll uh, start with waterfowl. Around here, we have lots of mallards, woodies, and teal, ringnecks, um, kind of our, our, our local, what we have. And then as the migration kicks in, we'll start picking up other species, you know, pintail, widgeon. Uh, more ringnecks, occasional buffleheads, uh, mergansers. It kind of depends on, you know, where you are in a migration. Sometimes you think you get a good wind and you, something came in. Well, that also means something could have left, too. Right. So it, it changes okay. all oh, the time. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you hit it where everything stayed and stuff came. So that's really good. Um, but, yeah, uh, we, we focus a lot on the hunting around here and on the wild rice because that does is a really a unique thing to this area. And, hmm. and the waterfowl just absolutely love wild rice. Um, we is that like what I'm imagining from the grocery store aisle? Wild rice, like uh, when it's processed, oh, okay. uh, when it's out in out in the wetland, it looks like uh, like a tall grass with a kind of a, a head. Um, and by you know, it's, it's ripe right now. People are on the property currently right now, uh, knocking it with the sticks. And so it's ripe right now. So by the time waterfall season opens, it'll start to turn more of a yellow looking because okay. it's kind of you know done for the year as an annual plant. Yeah, that seems key to be waterfall hunting around here, trying to find the rice. Or we also do some uh, managed drawdowns, moist soil management, where you're growing things like a bitens, it's a tick seed, kind of a yellow flowered plant that, especially the mallards, just absolutely love. And then, you know, if you're uh, on the river looking at some of the backwater, slackwater, maybe you're looking at acorns with uh, with uh, wood ducks, too. Yeah. So you kind of okay. depends on what you're after and how you're doing it. Hmm. Um, but you have very good waterfall hunting opportunities on this property and, and, and within this county. Um, and you talk about fishing too, the river you guys are talking about, it was you know, known for smallmouth bass, really a good smallmouth bass fishery. And we do, we talked earlier where, where you got to check the regular regulations, uh, but then uh, walleye also. Um, so smallmouth bass is more like you know, casting behind the rock, casting behind the logs, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then walleye are more like you know, trying to find that deeper hole if you can find one. Okay. okay. And the gotcha. more you get to know the river, the better you're going to get at that for sure. 
and then, yeah, deer hunting as well too. So yeah, you got the whole smorgasbord. You, know, you can wake up in the morning, shoot ducks, and cast a line for a while exactly. during the day, and then go sit in a bull stand at night, possibly. But yeah, oh my gosh, that's exactly. Yep. that actually makes me feel really good because I think that that's kind of how we envision yeah. the day going. That sounds yeah, that sounds good. Um, we actually did recently a waterfowl podcast, and I still I still sometimes get tripped up on this. So you you mentioned a number of different species of duck, and then even let's say you hit the migration, some other species start coming in. If you have a waterfowl tag, I think you need what, a state and federal, right? Yep. Stamp to go. Can you, like, how do you know which ones to shoot, which ones not to shoot? Is that a dumb question? Does that make sense? Well, Because right- sometimes people will say, like, oh, don't shoot those ones. How do you know? Do you get a tag for, like, oh, I have a tag for mallard ducks or, like, oh, I have a tag for ringneck? Right. How does yeah. that work? Yeah, so you, yeah, waterfall identification is really important. So like you say, so you know what you're shooting. So like for mallards, though, too, um, you can shoot four mallards, but only one can be a hen. So you know, I know when I'm out, I'm really trying hard not to shoot that hen because once you get that first hen, then you really got to be careful. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, knowing what you, what you have. And uh, wood ducks, you know, two wood ducks, uh, you can have all six teal if you want. So, yeah, knowing your species is, is critical to, to waterfall hunting. And then also for uh, if you want to shoot a goose, too, that's, uh, you know, we have the exterior yep. goose, goose season. Uh, so you have to have the ex- exterior permit as well. Yep. And I, okay. And I think what you're asking there, too, is you can shoot all those at, the same same time like it's not like there's a week-long mallards or anything okay all oh, yep. right yep. gotcha you, you can, just have to know so if i go boom and shoot one i gotta yes. know what i shot hopefully probably before i shot it right right um and then that might go into some sort of you know count towards a limit yeah exactly okay what if you get some kind of real oddball species that comes in that like do they have pretty much a limit on every species out there so if you even if there's an oddball one that comes through and you shoot it or whatever or yeah, like how does that work with like diver ducks or like a merganser or something like that? Right. In, in the regs, I'll say uh, like some of the species you can only shoot two or, or mm-hmm. one, some of the changes. But yeah, you, somehow you got to figure out what you have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you don't, if you didn't know when you shot and you see it, like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah. yeah. No one it is. Not, sh- not shoot and release. <laughs> I, think, I, I think the key is wherever you're at, check your, check your regulations. Yeah. You know, be confident in your duck ID and. Be careful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I knew you had to be confident in your duck ID, but I was wondering, yeah, the, the regulations thing. Now I get it, though. Yep. Okay. Cool. Circling back on the wild rice, is that is that more in the marshy areas then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, more kind of the, the deep lake and the marshy okay. areas. Like, okay. Yep. Soft bottom stuff. And, and along the rivers as well, but usually that rice ripens a couple weeks ahead of time. Okay. okay. So the river rice ripens sooner for some reason. Yeah, because we were looking at, uh, like we talked about, coming in off the river, and there are, like, in doing our map scouting, we saw several little, like, backwater creeks that, you know, were tributaries into the larger portion of the river, and I'm assuming that's the stuff that we would end up kind of focusing on for for ducks. Right, and that would take some scouting to see what's there and if they're using it or not. Yep. Mm -hmm. And water levels might influence that as well. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you think even on the main river, though, if you found kind of like a little bit of some slack water and, a, you know, an, an eddy or a turn or something like that, a guy could set up some decoys there and do well? It'd be worth trying, probably. Uh, I think the, the area you're looking at, you could also go find some some more like pothole-style wetlands oh. or beaver dams that are backing up oh, some water gotcha. or stuff like that, too, that you oh, might okay. find. Yeah, those beaver dams might be really a hot spot because yeah. sometimes they move around and not everybody knows about them. So right. You can find like maybe the new secret hot spot, but... Would that be a matter of, of uh, essentially parking the boat and going inland a little bit to find some of those, or are those just right part of the river or just off the river? Uh, most of them would probably be in a little bit, I would think. Okay. Yeah. 
from I haven't shot a lot of woodies, but you talk to guys shooting woodies and beaver dams. They yeah. say they kind of go hand in hand a little bit. Oh, so. definitely, especially the newer ones. It's flooding back on back under the oaks. Okay, good to know. Noted. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, switching gears to the fishing, you've been discussing the crayfish thing. Yes, crawfish, however you want to say it. I don't. Whatever you say doesn't bother me. Mini lobsters Listeners out there. Uh, mini lobsters. Is that something? Is that something that would be around here? Seeing some, some crayfish, crawfish. I yeah, definitely. Products. I know. I know they do that in the river, but I don't know all, all the particulars on that. Yeah, that wouldn't be my cup of tea. But uh, I know they do it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, you kind of. Well, we may be. I almost think you're more excited about that than anything else. I just think it's like a nice passive thing you can do. Like you make camp, you throw a trap out, you know, maybe hopefully you can find some maybe or have some adjacent rockier habitat where they might be, you know, crawling up in. And I guess the what kind of made me think about it was the fact that, you know, it sounds like there's a, you know, an abundant smallmouth population. Smallmouth generally like to eat crayfish. Right. So I thought there might be some crayfish there and we could make ourselves a nice little meal, Jim. I like the sounds of it. I yeah. just also love the, how excited you are about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I know on the Riverway they they do target some of the rusty state, rusty uh, crayfish because they don't want them there, but hmm. it, you know invasive you know, kind of species. Yeah, but you might want to ch- double check the regs, make sure you're not getting into something that you're not supposed to do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely do want to do that because in my research of Wisconsin crayfish and even just some of that, that rusty ru- rusty crayfish sounds like it's an invasive. Uh, non-native and kind of taking over and compromising our native crawfish populations. I've said it two different ways myself uh, in the last <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, crawdads. I'll call them crawdads. Yeah, next. I was about to say, um, why not make it a hat trick? But yeah, so the, I would be curious to know, like, and I'm saying maybe, I haven't checked regulations or talked to a you know a crawfish expert, but like maybe you can't, you know, maybe those native populations are compromised to a point that you bet you better be confident in your, your, uh, your crawfish ID as well. I don't know. Yeah. We'll look into it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I got something you can call. Okay. Help you out. Perfect. Good that's to know. We need. Bob's got a crawdad guy. That. He's got a crawdad guy. <laughs> that's that's always a good guy to have. But that would be a that would be a cool supplement. Yeah. To the hunt. You I think eating, you eating those? Are they good eating? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, we eat them. So I mean, and oh, I, think, I know we eat them, but I have you before. Oh yeah. All yeah. Right. They're pretty darn good. You know, and I think I think part of this whole trip, Bob, and and we probably touched on a little bit is it's kind of like this adventures in your own backyard or, yeah. or adventures what you make it and then hopefully you know like i said come into this mixed bag and we can you know kind of forage our you know hunt and forage our way up and down the river and just yeah. kind of mm-hmm. live like cavemen for a few days or a little cool. surf turf and sky yeah originally we weren't going to bring food but then we realized that we were very humbled by our ability to obtain the food <laughs> and now we're bringing food yeah. the good news is that we were humbled before we even actually had to be humbled. Exactly. So that's, yeah. you know, at least... Very in tune with... Uh, we're, we're, we're aware, socially aware <laughs> of ourselves. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, there's nothing better than somebody getting a deer and bringing, you know, the exactly. heart or the tenderloins back to camp and eating it right there. So that's, that's that a is fun exactly way to do it. That is what we want to do. That, yes, that sounds fantastic. And we were able to get doe tags in this area, too, because we mm-hmm. noticed that, you know, we needed to get the, the bonus uh, antlerless tags. So we were able to get those. So we have a lot of... A lot of opportunity. By we are not going to be choosy by any means. Possibly by the skin of our teeth. They're kind of on a, not a lottery system, but you definitely had to get in an electronic line, if you will, yep. a, a randomly mm-hmm. assigned electronic line. And I think I was like 16,000 something in line. So yeah. 
felt pretty fortunate to get one. Definitely. Yeah, they, I think they sold out the second day, so. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they wow. did? All right, good thing we got in there. Now, speaking of deer, prior to getting here, you know, I envisioned this trip definitely an opportunity. Like, you might see some deer. We might get a deer. Yeah. Typically, when I think about big deer, I think of southern Wisconsin and all, and all the agriculture and food sources and things like that. However, when we walked into the office here, I noticed a couple things on the wall uh, that led me to believe that maybe there are some big deer around here. Yep. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah, the the one of the most famous one would be the James Jordan buck is from this county. I think it was like 1914 or something like that. But that was a world record for many years, and that's hanging. Uh, the replica is hanging here on the wall. So that's uh, you said that's that was a, a world record. Yeah. Wow. So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the way you guys are hunting too, getting back in those bigger blocks of public land, better chance of getting a, a more mature whitetail that's been around a little while and avoided. Um, well, it's not avoided death, but it's definitely is. But they <laughs> yeah. grow up big enough to, to have a larger set of antlers. Um, and that's a neat story. You're interested in that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that James Jordan story. The story goes that uh, James Jordan left his home and walked down along the uh, Yellow River there and was walking along, and then the train was coming, and that, that, that train track is on rails to trail, so you can, you, you can walk that trail if you want to go see the actual site. But allegedly the train kicked up these deer and ran them by uh, James, and he uh, was able to get that huge white tail and even had to wade the river, I think, as part of the story to, to yeah. recover the animal. But uh, the river's right there and the trail's right there. You can kind of imagine that what well, used to be a trail, yeah. train track. is kind of It's all history, but you can all clearly go see it. It was a short walk. And, it, and what did he shoot that deer with? Uh, was it like a 25 odd 20 or something? It's a, a smaller, It was very a unique small. cartridge. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to not yeah, very big. Little, out of the little lever action like a Winchester. Yeah, and didn't wasn't there then a, a whole debacle with him like the the antlers were gone for a while and then they showed up at like a garage sale and someone bought them like I thought I remember reading that yeah, somewhere they yeah bounced over in Minnesota for a while yeah. got taken to a taxidermist who moved or something yeah there there's right, a whole that's story what it was. with that yep. yeah wow yeah like he never actually from my understanding he shot this giant buck took it to a taxidermist the taxidermist moved the antlers got lost. And then somehow years down the road, like a, a grandson or a, some kind of, you know, shirt tail relation. Heir to the deer. Yeah, bought like bought them for like, I don't know, at a, at a garage sale. Like I could have that totally wrong, but I remember it having a very crazy story. So we'll have to confirm that. Old James Jordan never really saw his yeah, never really, like, luck again. Yeah, it's crazy. We'll have to post that in like the the show notes below because yeah, I know okay, there we'll is a. We'll have to go back and try and find the story. Yeah, it's pre- it's worth looking up. That's pretty wild. So, what about in 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 the interest of doing too many things on this trip? Are any upland opportunities? Do we are there <laughs> grouse in the area? Oh yeah, the area you're you're looking at going is kind of an area we focus grouse management. Okay. So uh, that's part of the the forest there. We realize a lot of aspen is in that area. So I thought, hey, why don't we do something for grouse in this area? As long as we're looking at a huge stands of aspen, anyways. So there should be good numbers of rough grouse, and we're seeing rough grouse uh, make a pretty good bump up around here uh, currently this year. So you you might have a rough grouse opportunity as well. Wow. And woodcock? Let's yeah, just add woodcock to the list. Yeah. Why don't yeah. We? Oh, yeah. you're going to be on the river in the lowlands, and you hit the right, you know, little push from a migration, you might see woodcock as well. Okay. Would we maybe be a little bit early for that? A touch, but kind of depends on what, what happens. Yeah. Um, but no, you you might hit it. You might be hitting some of the migrants coming through. I just, Cut it out, Mark. I know. <laughs> I just looked up the story here on that. So James Jordan shot the buck in 1914. 
took it to a taxidermist who mo- then moved to Hinkley, Minnesota, unbeknownst to Jim. And then in 1958, the original Jordan Buck mount showed up at a rummage sale in St- Sandstone, Minnesota, purchased by Bob Ludwig. Lug- Ludwig, and in 1971 was finally officially scored and entered into the record book. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Talk about a, a big buck story. James Jordan Buck is that. So it was shot in the year... 1914. And the mount was not obtained until 1958. And then it was finally officially scored in... in 1971. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a while. Yeah. Deer long stories. Time. Yeah. They're Crazy. What about foraging opportunities? We talked a little bit about wild rice. Maybe we'll encounter some wild rice. Sounds like it might be on the tail oh, yeah. end of that. But hey, are there any? Are you asking on behalf of Ryan Muckener? Is he curious? Yeah, no, I'm go- I'm going off my list. Big forager my, guy. My Muckenhern-esque list that I have going on here. Any other any wild mushrooms or anything that a person should you know keep an eye out for to you know cook with our backstraps when we yeah, get those? Potentially, if it's, it's still early enough to find morels. Uh, currently, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff out there for blackberry and raspberries. Uh, blueberries are all done by a couple weeks. Okay. Um, and wild rice is a big thing right now. Um, that's that's a short period of time where it's ripe, and then you get a big storm and gets all knocked off, and you're done. So mm. maybe a week to ten days of wild rice going on here. Interesting. That's just getting good right now. I'm going tomorrow, so that's that's yeah. that's that tells you where my head's at. For other foraging, you know, there's tons of squirrels and rabbits this year, especially rabbits if you like yeah. shooting rabbits. Yes. We, we, yeah. We got those judo <laughs> points ready. Yep. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Lots there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot here. of opportunity. Why don't we plan more days? I, there's still time. <laughs> we may just need to make a quick edit, a little little whiteout, and you know some uh, cover up on that uh, on that itinerary. On the, on the that old we calendar. Have. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We might have to plan some more days, but it should be. It should be. Ton of fun. We just got to figure out the freaking boat situation. The, the <laughs> boat. Yeah, I keep every time I get excited, I my mind goes back to the boat, which is still we, your fault, Eric. Yeah, I yes, but I do have I do have two kayaks. So if we can obtain another kayak, well, two more kayaks, well, yeah, one for Nate too. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of people do access or do like the primary mode of transportation on the river is canoe and kayak from uh, like. The little research we've done is that correct? Yeah, a lot of lot of uh, trips where you, know, you you put in in one spot and pull out downstream yep. and you shuttle back up. And that's originally kind of what we had in mind was we were gonna like put in and put out, but then the hunting public guys enlightened us to the fact that we have a twenty five horse motor motor on our boat. Yeah, we're all over the place. We got to figure something out. <laughs> we just need to come up with our plans A, B, and C. Yep, and then probably the night before pick one. Yep, mm-hmm. love it. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go and try and look at it here today as yeah. well while we're up in the neighborhood, and so yeah, like while we're looking at it today, if we see the water level, you know, a couple weeks out still, obviously rains and stuff like that, we can't predict rain in a couple of weeks. But is that would that otherwise be pretty indicative of what we'll probably be seeing in a few weeks? I would think so, but you know, having to guess the weather, who knows? Yeah. You might get a whole yeah. bunch of rain and be completely different. But. Even the regular weather guy isn't good at that. So, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and rivers intrinsically potentially can have hazards that go along with them. Are there any things that we should be mindful of or look out for, or sections of the river that are known to be you know more dangerous than others? Others, like uh, in, yes. in an eighteen foot boat. I'm probably not worried about some things that I might be in a canoe or a kayak. Right, right. Like uh, rapids? Yeah. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, for the most part, you know, you, you, there's there's rocks, there's logs, there's sandbars, a little bit of rapids. Uh, that also depends on levels quite a bit too. Are the rapids worse when the water's low, or do I'd they become more gentle when it's high? Probably it's probably moving faster when it's high. Okay. And okay. more more of a more of a have to get out and drag type thing, drag canoe if it's really low. But I don't know, if we're at that time of year we're in rubber boots for bow hunting maybe anyways, and that's not such a big deal to have to drag the canoe a little yeah. bit. Okay. Okay. Uh, so might we be, might not actually need hip waders. We might be able to get away with like your knee high rubber boots or even like hip waders or something like that. Yeah, I'm thinking if a canoe's getting stuck, it's yeah, getting stuck in it's pretty shallow inches. water. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Does our does our big boat go very deep? I don't think it drafts a ton of water, actually. I, so, I, yeah. I mean, I think it should ride pretty high. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to look at it right now. You know, and, of course, you're not going to get the entire picture until you, you know, run into something when you're on right. the water. You know, what I didn't want to run into was, like, three miles of, you know, Portaging, riffle. And you're, you know, trying to drag your boat yeah. three miles. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're on hauling the outboard out on our backs or something. So... <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that doesn't sound very pleasant. <laughs> Real quick, to mention back to deer, discussing the idea of you know getting one and bringing it back to camp, and you know cooking up the heart over a fire with maybe a little bit of you know some fish or anything else that we got after. Any concerns up in this area with like some of the diseases like CWD or anything like that? Just out of curiosity, have you guys have you guys seen that up here? The, the, we we have had it in a different part of the county, mm-hmm. and there's been a, uh, just recently an elk farm that had had an animal um, test positive too. Oh. Uh, that's on the other end of the county, thankfully. But um, yeah, it's something we're aware of and are testing for. Yeah, and I encourage people um, that are you know, right now this year we're going to be doing some intense monitoring for CBD. So if you uh, got a chance to donate, you know. So lymph nodes for your deer head, please yep. do, because we're trying to get a big enough sample to actually find those deer. So yep. it's really hard to detect CWD. Yeah. Where, so, would, a, where would a person check that in, in this county then? Uh, there'll be uh, kiosks in the various spots where you maybe we register deer um, in every town, uh, kind of some main hubs like gas stations and stuff like that. Is it suggested that you do that in the county that you harvested the deer or does it matter? And if you get close to home and you're like, oh yeah, this one's more convenient and it's right by my house, I can do it here. Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, close to the county that came from be the best way. Okay. Good to know. Well, I mean, I think if we are fortunate enough to get a deer, we will most certainly get it tested because Absolutely. it's just super important data to have. However, I don't think anybody's going to be able to talk me out of the tenderloins on the riverbank. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yep. That's very true. It doesn't take. Does it take a super long time to bring it by and get get it tested? You know, no. like if we're, you know, obviously traveling back to back home, we don't have to hang around for like another night to wait to get it tested. It's how's that work? Right. You pretty much just drop it off at a kiosk where it's self service. You kind of fill out a form, put it in a bag, drop it in the freezer, and you're done. Okay. And then you get a, you get notified. You know how it tested too, so yep. then you know as well. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. think what is it usually like seven to ten days you'll something yeah, like that. Depending give or take on, on right, you know, I suppose it might slow up a little bit during gun deer yeah, season. Yeah, flood of you know stuff coming in. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I'm feeling where are you at, Mark? Excited. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. Yeah. We'll figure out the boat thing. We gotta go do some scouting. We gotta yeah. figure out the boat. We got a ton of awesome information. A lot of uh, our I guess suspicions about the area have been confirmed. Yep. It is a smorgasbord area. And uh, what else? I want to make sure that we're getting everything out but that we need to before we actually go. 
Any, anything you think we left out? Yeah. Well, I think you're going to have a great adventure. I do really encourage you to go take a look at the river, maybe from a couple different landings or yeah. bridges or something like that. Just kind of get a feel for what kind mm-hmm. of the water looks like now. Yeah. So then you can check in later to see if the water levels change. You can kind of kind of. Oh, gauge that's a, yeah. Yourself. We can have like a benchmark. You know, we can right. like you said we'll check oh, the yeah. CFS today. Yep. And also what it looks like, and then yep. yeah. And yeah, then do the first navigation maybe when you can see good and, and you have yeah. a little extra time because you might think you don't drag or something like that. But I think once you get kind of the feel for the river, know where you can can and cannot go, I think you're gonna have a great hunt. I think yeah. you're gonna have a great experience, a lot of good camping and yeah, fun out on the river and uh, in the woods. Be great. Excellent. Awesome. Well, Bob, yeah, thanks a ton for giving us some of this information and. We'll definitely have to keep you updated on how things go too. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm interested to see how you guys do. Yeah. yeah, we'll keep we'll keep you posted. But no, yeah, I can't thank you enough for the information. Take the time to sit down with us and and show us around Crux Meadows here because it's a really cool facility. Yeah, I think super we'll probably cool. poke around a little bit more before we go because Absolutely. there's a lot of inter- interesting stuff here. So. Absolutely. All yeah. right. There's a lot of great opportunities in this county. I encourage people to come up to Burnett County and uh, have fun and get out on the landscape and 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 do what you enjoy. Awesome. Sweet. Well, next up, one thing that we do want to also discuss in the next episode is what happens if we have a traumatic injury? So our next guest will be helping us with something that hopefully doesn't happen. Yes. But then you're going to hear about the hunt, too. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned for the next chapter of this pod venture. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.